Feminist Coffee Hour. You can find us online at feministcoffeehour.com, Feminist Coffee Hour on iTunes. We're on Twitter at femcoffeepod, askfm slash feministcoffeehour, and you can email us at feministcoffeehour at gmail.com. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Karen. And today we're talking about summer blockbusters that we would like to see made. Comedies like Broad City, Veep, and Inside Amy Schumer deliver withering critiques of the patriarchy every week. And Jessica Jones won our hearts last year on Netflix. But what about other genres and the big screen? So, Karen, um, this is kind of why we came up with this this topic, because Hollywood seems to be a little bit, and we're going to get to this at the end, starting to make movies that have more feminist appeal, that have more characters with agency. But they're not quite there yet. Mm-hmm. And so part of, uh, we have to give kind of major props to some of this discussion that we'll talk about uh, to Jacqueline Friedman and her podcast, uh, which is now Unscrewed, because uh, she definitely talks about uh, movies about women. And so she's talked about it recently in terms of when we're recording this. So, Yeah, in one of Jacqueline Friedman's recent episodes, she said, when are they going to make a road trip abortion movie? And I said, yeah, that's the first summer blockbuster I'd like to watch um, that Hollywood, I don't think, has made yet, especially considering what's going on in the United States right now with regarded, with regarding to closing clinics and limiting women's access to abortion. And um, as many of you know, Karen and I raise money for the New York Abortion Access Fund because m- many people actually have to travel hundreds, if not thousands of miles to get an abortion, even in the United States today. And even after traveling, they're required to, uh, they're subjected to waiting periods that require them, so after traveling this far, to get a hotel, and there are just so many potential obstacles that I would love to see kind of how a female character, dynamic female duo, deals with them over the course of this kind of road trip. Yeah, that's definitely something that, um, that would that would make for for entertain for an entertaining um, movie. Um, I haven't seen Grandma yet. Have you seen that one, Karen? No, I haven't. It's a movie that came out last year with Lily Tomlin. Uh, it's on my to watch list, and it's about a grandmother that helps her granddaughter get an abortion. So it's it's similar, but um, but it's it's not you know a road movie with the yeah. Uh, it's it's the a really different style. It sounds like. Mm-hmm. So uh, next up, I, this is something I've been thinking about for a long time. I've even toyed with writing this screenplay myself. I want to see a lighthearted coming-of-age movie about geek girls who riff on pop culture the way that guys do in, like, Kevin Smith movies. Because yeah. I think we've seen more geek girls in pop culture recently. I think most famously Felicia Day. Um, mm-hmm. That was a little bit more about, you know, girls who play video games. But um, I want to see geek girls who are more than sidekicks or objects of pity or just there to be annoying to guys. Um, mm-hmm. I want to see teenage Trekkie girls who uh, have agency, cosplay. cosplaying, having a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, I think our society is right for this right now. I think we are, like on the verge of that representation of the female geek where it's like a a person in their own right and not a reflection of the male geek or somebody who's in the 
the story to interact with the male geek. Yeah, like, I mean, even in Saved by the Bell, there was Violet, but she was literally the female version of Screech. Yeah. And I think there's similar characters on Big Bang Theory, even though I don't watch that show. Um, but they're literally... All the romantic interests. Yeah, I think I think so. Um, but mm-hmm. they're literally just female versions of the male characters. But that's mm-hmm. not quite... Uh, what what this this movie would be so somebody make this movie they're all romantic interests i want to see it about them you know about their life before the yes. men their romantic interests or their annoying but useful sidekicks like irma in ninja turtles i don't right. know if you remember irma she was april o'neill's friend and she was a geek and she kind of liked donatello but she was there to be <laughs> annoying and useful and also like really nerdy right yeah, I would love to see that. I would love to see, like, smart girls who are into nerdy things and, like, how they move through the world with each other and, like, how they learn how to grow up. Mm-hmm. Oh, the next one was my idea. Um, a majority female-casted adventure movie. Um, something like Tomb Raider, but where the sidekicks and villain are also ladies. So, you know, we have Tomb Raider. There is... The old classic Romancing the Stone, which some people call Indiana Jones for Girls, but I still like that movie on its own. Um, but an adventure movie that, you know, has a great, strong female protagonist, but also a female villain and female wise women who help out the hero, you know, something like that. Oh, so I feel like some of this is is already parts of it are exist in some movies like in Jersey and the Pussycats where uh, the band is the protagonists they're all women and the villain is Parker Posey so I think that that exists uh, to some extent already that's like a, a tween bit. music movie that's not like I like kicking it. ass in the jungle. No, I'm not, yeah, I'm not okay. saying. Yeah, okay. I see what you're saying. I'm not saying it's not great. And then they they did the gem and the holograms movie, though, but they heard that that wasn't as good. Yeah, they. I mean, they ruined the storyline. I don't know. I'm a big fan of gem and the holograms, the cartoon series, and that's what I grew up with. And so that was I, I what too. I was expecting from the movie. And I've I've haven't seen it once I learned that it was not going to be a gem and the holograms movie. It was just going to kind of use that name mm-hmm. and steal from some themes. Uh, I got pretty mad. Yeah, were the misfits even in it? I don't know. I haven't seen it. I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> when I was a kid and, and my baby brother was born, uh, and I went to see my mom and, and him in the hospital for the first time, my mom gave me a gem doll for, like, congratulations on being a big sister. So oh. in my head, I always have these, like, warm feelings about gem because it was when I got to be a big sister. Oh. So, That's um, awesome. Yeah. Oh, that makes me but, really happy. Huh? That, that makes, makes you really me really happy. happy. That's a warm, yeah. happy story. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, but I want to see the adventure movie that takes place in, you know, mm. in the jungle or in the Grand Canyon or something like that. Um, right, yeah, like a grand adventure. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think Absolutely. there was one, a, a Disney Channel cable movie with, uh, I want to say Christina Ricci and Anna Klumschke, where they were like... Is it called Fool's Gold? Hmm, I don't know. Are you it's called it Gold Diggers, The Secrets of Bear Mountain. With <laughs> Christina Ricci and... <laughs> and Anna Klumschke, actually, yeah. 
It was the only other movie she did, aside from the My Girl movies, I think, before she came back and being awesome in Veep. And it wasn't that good. Um, All right. So, <laughs> I never saw it. But yeah, something like that. Uh-huh. I think also uh, the, the Catwoman movie is not mm-hmm. an adventure movie. The one with Halle Berry that has nothing to do with Catwoman, Selena Kyle, mm-hmm. uh, is about a female protagonist with a male villain. Uh, mm-hmm. and a female villain, rather. Uh-huh. I haven't seen it. Yeah, she it's, got a it's terrible. Down. It's terrible. I watched it one day while I was at college, and it was, like, raining, and uh, I just didn't feel like going outside. <laughs> and it, it was just on, and so I watched it. That's my excuse. Yeah. <laughs> so you want to you do the next one, Karen? Sure. So one of the things that I would like to see is a movie with an all-female cast that is not marketed as a women's movie, uh, that's marketed to both men and women. Uh, it can be any plot, but uh, I do want to see a movie with female protagonists marketed as a neutral movie. Like, a standard movie for everybody to see and enjoy. Mm-hmm. The only one I can think of that comes anywhere near that is mm-hmm. A League of Their Own. But there are a lot of men in that movie, so... And men in positions of power, too. Yeah. Although that is a theme in the movie that they do look at, so I don't know. Yeah, I'll give it a, I'll give a League of Their Own. It's close, but it's not, it's not an all-female cast. No... I said a biopic about a woman scientist who had men steal her work, because there's a lot of those. Yes, and, there are. You know, we like to talk about biopics where the character faces all this adversity. Mm-hmm. That would definitely be, I think, compelling subject matter. Absolutely. Also, I would love to... So, yeah, of course, the first person that comes to mind is Rosalind Franklin. And what mm-hmm. a, like, awesome story to cover for the arc of a, a movie. Like, what a great plot about a great injustice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, alternately, I would love to see a movie about a female scientist who is not a Mary Sue. So, like... And so this is kind of back to when we were talking a little bit about Big Bang Theory. Like, uh-huh. the female scientists play kind of very contrived roles. And that's fine. Like, I would have, I would love to have, like, an annoying female scientist who's, like, you know, our weird cultural ideal of the unfeeling scientist who's, in, like, just uh, kind of curt and cold to people but actually a genius... Mm-hmm. Or, like, maybe in the Jeff Goldblum vein from Jurassic Park. Right. <laughs> it's, like, weird and out there, but very smart. Um, but I feel like we see a lot of uh, women scientists in movies that are, like, attractive and put together and, like, perfectly professional. And I actually think uh, that is Nuclear experts fantastic. by the age of 28. What's that? I said they're nuclear experts by the age of 28, like in uh, The Peacemaker. And that would be fine. Uh, I don't. I actually think that's a great. I think that's great. Like I think it's great that there are representations of female scientists who are totally professional. Mm-hmm. But I would love to see a woman scientist who doesn't have all these feminine qualities on top of being a scientist. Like I would love to see a masculine female scientist. You know. So, so uh, I was just thinking about when you were talking about Thor in our Valentine's Day episode. So the, yes. the women in Thor are Mary Sue's. I guess you're saying. Mm-hmm. They are, and and I did enjoy that. I would just love to see a movie where they aren't, you know. The only one I'm thinking of is, have you seen Contagion? No, I haven't. Um, There is a female scientist in that movie 
who uh, saves everyone. <laughs> and but she is thanks for the spoiler. <laughs> like a hero, yeah. Spoilers for Contagion. Sorry. Um, everyone doesn't die on Earth. The <laughs> humanity lives on. Oh, um, that's a movie I'd like to see. A movie yeah. where humanity does not live on. I'm sorry. Continue. <laughs> <laughs> there are a few like that. Yeah. Um, spoilers, but uh, was it the day after? And um, there's another one that was on the Sci-Fi Channel that I can never remember. But um, in Contagion, there are two female scientists. One is played by Kate Winslet, mm-hmm. and she's I think the head of the CDC or the WHO. I forget which mm-hmm. one. And then there's another female scientist that works on the vaccine, and she proves it works by testing it on herself. And she has to test it on herself by first injecting herself with the vaccine and then exposing herself to the virus to make sure that Mm -hmm. it works. So she basically risks her life to prove that the vaccine works. And Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if she's a Mary Sue or not. I'm not not sure. I didn't really think about it in this way. She's definitely a hero scientist. Cool. I don't mind her being a hero. Yeah. I just want her to have some negative quality. (laughs) Hmm. I mean, she's a risk taker, but lots of scientists have like experimented on themselves like the the guy who proved that ulcers were caused by bacteria mm-hmm. he actually did that by actually drinking the bacteria that caused ulcers to prove it because no one believed him wow yeah um next up i just said an animated movie from the mind of kate beaton because yes. that would be just super awesome who wouldn't want to see that <laughs> i think um kate beaton for people who don't know draws comics and they, a lot of times they riff on classic literature or mm. history and I think that she could come up with something really wonderful if someone gave her the resources to to make an animated movie mm-hmm. and she's done a couple of uh, children's books mm-hmm. also with her animation and compilations of her comics mm-hmm. yeah she's really great if you haven't seen her work please go check her out she's Definitely. so good uh, next, there's a book called 80 Days, which I read a couple years ago, and I wrote a review on my blog about it. And it's about Nellie Bly and Elizabeth Bislin's race around the world in the, I think it's 1890. Um, mm. And the book is amazing. It's, it's about, basically about, I think, 15 years after Around the World in 80, 80 Days came out. Um, Nellie Bly was a intrepid muckraking reporter Mm -hmm. and she was thinking about whether or not she could actually do this in 75 days because yeah she left she left in November of 1889 and it it finished in 1890 Um, if she could get around the world in 75 days if she could beat the record from the fictional novel Mm -hmm. and um, there was a competing newspaper who had a poet named Elizabeth Bisland was a very different kind of person, also race her going the other way, leaving from New York, heading towards San Francisco um, by train. And Elizabeth Bislin left from New York, heading towards Europe. So, and they were both racing to see who could get back to New York um, first. And the book is wonderful. It details the, the history of the time. You really feel like you knew what it was like to be in the late 1800s New York City. And it also details the two women's imperfections, um, kind of their personality problems, and also Mm -hmm. both their both kind of, um, you know, racist views of people in Asia and India and Africa and other countries that they were in, Mm -hmm. which fits with the time. 
of, mm. of which they were from. And um, it's one of my favorite books, and I think it would make a really, really good movie. So I'd love to see that. Yeah, and I also, I love Nellie Bly uh, mm -hmm. as a historical figure. Um, some of her journalistic work was exposing abuse in... in um, Mental hospitals. Mental health, yes, mental health asylums, I mm -hmm. think they were called. Sorry, I was trying to find the, the term of the day, the, mm -hmm. but in asylums. And it was really motivating for politicians and legislators to come in and kind of regulate that. And so I think I would just also like love anything about Nellie Bly. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, her story is, is an amazing American story. And... Um, mm -hmm. I'd love to see that on the big yeah. screen. Yeah, or just a movie about Nellie Bly. Sure. But yeah. the race around the world, I think, is the most cinematic part of it, maybe. Yeah, I think that would be... That's ripe for storytelling. I'd also sell for an HBO miniseries. Yeah, that would be fine. Because then you could spend more time on it. The next two kind of go together in my mind. Um, I said a serious movie about a female religious prophet. Mm -hmm. um, because Hollywood does like to take stories from the Bible and make them into movies. And um, there's not as many women in the Bible as there are men, but there mm -hmm. are many stories of women in the Bible. It'd be kind of cool to see a movie about one of them. Mm -hmm. um, and then kind of in conjoined with that, uh, a few years ago, there was a, a movie of the book Horns by Joe Hill with Daniel Radcliffe. Mm -hmm. And the book is about uh, a young man who's... Um, recently broken up with ex-girlfriend is found dead and everybody thinks he did it mm -hmm. but there's not enough evidence and I think on the one year anniversary of her, her death he wakes up with devil horns and they allow him to see the secret desires of other people if he ever makes physical contact with them mm -hmm. and also being around him compels people to tell them his secrets mm -hmm. and people are saying that you know people tell him that he's growing horns because he's guilty and he must have killed his girlfriend Mm -hmm. um, but as the book moves on past this kind of strange body horror type film, mm -hmm. it goes into about how they were both um, from very religious Catholic families. And it, the book is a critique of how misogynist religion is and yeah. how the misogyny. Yeah, I'm not going to give anything away because I think everybody should go read the novel. Um, but how basically the misogyny of Catholicism is one of the things that killed her. And one of the things that kind of ruined his life. And the movie, I think Daniel Radcliffe gave an amazing performance. Mm -hmm. But the movie was, I think, stunted by the fact that they took out the critique of religion. And they just made it about a guy who wakes up with devil horns. Mm. And they also changed the ending, which in a very silly way, which I won't give away. Um, Does it change some of the point of the story? Yes, entirely the ending of the movie entirely I think the ending of the movie almost endorses that Christianity is good when mm. really the book is about how Catholicism is evil um, and that kind of just it made me very disappointed I, I went and I saw it with Adam and he liked it and he hadn't read the book and I I thought Daniel Radcliffe's performance was really good and I thought the special effects were pretty good and the other acting was, was good but um they kind of defanged it 
or dehorned it. Mm. Um, so <laughs> I want to see more movies that critique how misogynist religion is in general, whether it's a remake of Horns or not. Yeah, I, I would be so down to see that, I think. I think it's hard to stand up to this kind of conservative religious movement in mass market a movie about that. But I think it's I possible. Mean, yeah, I even going back to, to uh, Kevin Smith, people freaked out over dogma. And dogma, yeah. I think, had a pro-religion message. Yeah, I think so, too. When you get down to it. Yeah. Um, I think the message of dogma was like, God is real and might help and don't you Don't be a dick about it, basically. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's exactly. like... It was kind of like God is real, but churches can be weird. <laughs> right, yeah. That was the line uh, where Salma Hayek says no, no denomination has the, the whole story yet. So Right. And people still flipped out and picketed the movie. So Yeah. Um, I just next. hold my eyes. You can't see. <laughs> <laughs> so... Unless historical movies are based on, say, Jane Austen novels, they tend to, in my view, either over or underestimate the level of sexism that women had to deal with. Mm-hmm. And I would love an accurate movie about women during colonial or revolutionary times America. The one I'm thinking mm-hmm. I want to cre- correct is uh, The Patriot with Mel Gibson and Heath Ledger, which I think had a really kind of odd... Um, I think there's a scene where a woman stands up in church and gives like speech and everyone like claps and I'm like that mm-hmm. wouldn't happen. People would women weren't allowed to talk in those kinds of churches back then. Yeah, like um, Anne Hutchinson. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it's I listed a couple church. of women I'd like to see movies about. Betsy Ross, mm-hmm. Abigail Adams, Phyllis Wheatley, and Hutchinson and Bradstreet, mm-hmm. Deborah Sampson, Sybil Ludington. The last two, if you don't know, um Deborah Sampson dressed as a man and fought in the army against the British. Mm-hmm. And um, she was wounded, and she took the bullet out herself so the doctor wouldn't figure out that she was a woman. And then later, after the war, she revealed herself and married a man and was still able to get an army pension. Nice. Because back in those days, people were like, huh, fooled us. Here's your money. (laughs) (laughs) You earned it. (laughs) Uh, And then Sybil Ludington actually was a woman who rode with Paul Revere to wake everybody up when the British were coming and she rode like twice as far or something like that as he did to, oh, really? to wake up all the soldiers yeah, to come and fight. Um, but no one remembers her. And there was another guy too who also rode with them who nobody remembers. And some people say it was just because Paul Revere was easier to put in the poem mm-hmm. that was written. Um, so his name rhymed better, but I'm not sure. But a movie about any of those women would be great that was uh, more accurate about what women's roles were and were not in in that time. Hmm. And then going on a completely different tangent, I was just Mm -hmm. thinking about uh, movies like Cashback or Delirious, um, where men get some kind of superpower and use it to sexually manipulate women. A gender flip version where a woman gets a superpower and uses it to sexually exploit men. Yeah. I mean, so we, we had a conversation about this earlier where we talked about mm-hmm. how uh, how uncomfortable it feels for us to do these kind of gender swap, sexual exploitation of men uh, yeah. kind of things. It feels kind of morally icky for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Definitely. But I would fucking love to see someone else do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it would underscore it. how awful the opposite is. Right. If people were uncomfortable about a movie where a woman, you know, used superpowers to exploit men. People would realize maybe we shouldn't 
think these movies about men using their powers to exploit women are like funny. Yeah. And so you had an alternate version? Yeah, so when you proposed this one, I kind of just had this reaction where I was lo- I would love to see a movie where a man gets a superpower like invisibility or some sort of be- ability to manipulate people that he does not use for sexual exploitation and no one mentions that he could use it for sexual exploitation because why is that the first thing that so many people think of? Why? Why is that the first thing? People think of it in terms of like transgender bathrooms where somebody doesn't have a superpower but they have to live as a woman to try and sexually exploit women and it's just like why is the first thing you think of for literally everything a man is going to go into a women's bathroom and look at them naked? Why is that the first thing? Unacceptable. I would love to see a bunch of a bunch of movies where it happens where no one mentions that you could sexually exploit women <laughs> with this power. <laughs> I would just really That'd like that. <laughs> Maybe there's one or so two special. episodes of Star Trek like that, but most of the time. Right. Yeah. And so uh, another movie idea uh, was a movie taking place in medieval times, either real or fantasy medieval times in which there is no sexual assault, like not implied, not shown on screen, just it's not occurring, uh, and not in a way that like downplays the experiences of women, but just in a way where it's like, this doesn't happen in this story for once. Like sexual exploitation is just not a part of our daily lives in the way that something like Game of Thrones would show and it's, it's always so funny because whenever you talk about something like Game of Thrones or you talk about these fantasy worlds where there's so much sexual exploitation of women, so many people are always like, yeah, but that's how it was in the time. It's like, Westeros isn't real. <laughs> it's not how it was at the time if he didn't write it as how it was at the time. There is no time. It's just kind of loosely based on certain historical uh, kind of styles. There wasn't magic and dragons in medieval Europe either, so... Right. (laughs) When was that time? Right? And so it's just something that uh, I really would love to see, where it's just not not part of the story, where somebody who might have had some sexual violence in their past can watch it, and it just doesn't even get on their radar. You know, they can enjoy it equally, where women are, are... equal partners maybe in with other kinds of old-timey mores you know i was gonna say merlin but uh, as i was thinking about the plot of merlin which i love the made for tv movie Mm -hmm. um yeah there there are several sexual assaults some of them are on men but that doesn't make it fun either um some of them are just implied but yeah it's still in that movie so yeah and uh, another movie plot that i'd love to see is kind of another gender swap, but a movie about a woman who falls in love with a male inanimate object that is vaguely masculine, like an AI or a male real doll, or like where a woman is projecting masculinity onto an inanimate object. And so, and uh, you know, in terms of the AI, the first thing you think of is her, and I do want to say that like she seems to be somehow represented as having agency in some ways later in the movie. Uh, which is kind of an interesting development, but her whole presentation and the presentation of Siri on our phones, and we've we've talked about how our series are male, but um, uh, 
women who are we we put female and inanimate objects because we can reduce women to their parts and i would love to see a movie where the woman is a whole and the male is a part and the woman interacts with that part of a male as though it were a complete male and that's somehow acceptable that would be creepy but the the you know her is kind of creepy too as is was it lars and the real doll so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I, I think it would be really fascinating to, I think, I think the, uh, like, literal objectification would be a bit more jarring to people if you saw it happen to a man, just because it's not already such a part of our culture. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder, much in the same way as the gender-swapped cashback or delirious, if that might wake people up to, like, oh, interesting. <laughs> Why do we think people can be reduced to parts and still substitutes for holes? Oh, so next, this one is kind of another gender swapping for me. I would love to see a movie where a woman is in the hero arc and a man who she is into but doesn't reciprocate feelings for her uh, suddenly has a change of heart and is completely mad for her after she achieves her (laughs) non-romantic goals, even though they've had no meaningful interaction since his rejection of her. So I feel like this is something you see so much in movies about men where they have a love interest because you cannot have a movie without a heterosexual love interest. And and I feel like it, this is especially important to have as a heterosexual love interest uh, because of the gender dynamics at play. But um, mm-hmm. you see women who are just foils for the rewards you get for achieving your goals, you know? And so... Yeah. Romantic yeah. love or getting laid is never a reward for women in movies. It either right, happens it, well, to them because they're lucky or because they work for it, but it's never a reward for other kinds of success. Exactly. It's a reward for changing who you are as a person <laughs> to fit that man's ideals. Oh, that often. too. Like in Greece. <laughs> yeah. I don't like that trope, but I think this is another one where if you gender flip it, it really underscores how awful it is mm-hmm. when we see it all the time the other way around. Yeah, and I think that it would also help, even if it doesn't creep people out, because even though I would probably still think it's creepy, I think that there might be a number of people who don't think it's creepy, uh, or who don't notice that that's what's going on. I think that it would do for women what those movies do for men, which is it would inspire women to achieve things other than relationships and to put things before their relationships that are their personal goals. And Mm -hmm. I think that just even if it doesn't wake people up, I would love to see women being inspired to achieve their goals without thinking about whether or not the man they like will love them for it. Because it just, of course they will. Of course they will. (laughs) I mean, I think that does happen in real life. I think there are men who admire women for their accomplishments, but not in the ridiculously overblown and bizarre way that it happens in movies where you weren't interested and then all of a sudden when they, you know, win the game or whatever, then you are. Right. Right. So, yeah, I think that would be great. And so uh, another movie I would love to see could just be a scene doesn't have to be the whole point of the movie but uh and you know of course i bring it back to mental health because it's my field but uh a movie about mental health where the protagonist or any character goes to a support group and it's really cheesy but not everyone there is a total loser 
Um, and going to the support group regularly actually helps this person. Because I think the experiences of people who do go to support groups tend to be, I mean, either they're helped or not, but I think we have a ton of representations of, well, everyone at the support group is like brainwashed into some shitty life that they have and like accepting less. And because the protagonists won't accept less, they won't jive with the mundane experiences of being in a support group. And I think it's really fascinating. I wonder if there's like some sort of collective disavowing of support groups and screenwriters that like this trope comes up over and over again. Did uh, you ever see Girl Interrupted? Yes. I guess that doesn't count because it was a hospital and not just right. a support group. Mm. Okay. And Rent? I guess there's just one mm. just one scene where they go to a support group, but mm-hmm. it's not like an ongoing part of their life. Yeah. And I also think about in Girls when in the like first or second season when Adam attends an AA meeting and like they're they're like having a fight about who pays for cookies. And it's like this is how you represent it. Like and then like he says something brilliant and they're all like, Wow you know. Uh it just seems so uh it's it's disrespectful, I think, to people who are in these communities and also I think it gives people who might want to seek out help the impression that they will be a loser if they do mm-hmm. and that if they can't just do it themselves with pure grit and like creativity then they have to settle for being a fucking loser you know did you ever see Mr. Jealousy no tell me about it it's uh, a movie with uh, Eric Stoltz and um, a couple of other actors. It was it was an indie flick. It was very much about Gen Xers being Gen Xers in New York City in the 90s. But it wasn't reality bites. It was about um, it was about a guy who knew he had a problem with jealousy. Mm-hmm. And so what he decided to do was stalk his current girlfriend's ex-boyfriend and join his group therapy to find out more about him. Oh my gosh. That's yeah, really yeah. So it's, <laughs> yes, it starts with him kind of exploiting group therapy. Mm-hmm. Does it help him? Not really, except that when he's exposed, he realizes how he's an awful person. Okay. <laughs> but um, I would recommend that movie just because I think it's a fun movie. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's necessarily a feminist movie, but I, I think it's funny and I think it's interesting. And mm-hmm. it has a weird plot. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, I think, oh, another representation, like in Jessica Jones, when they make the support group for people who've been victimized, mm-hmm. uh, I think they, they really do play on how, like, processing is garbage. Why are you just sitting around and processing? And I mean, and, and so I think they play with the outcome of that, interestingly, mm-hmm. um, in a way I don't want to spoil. Right. But uh, I do think that they really play on this trope of talking about how you feel, figuring out how to process your trauma or whatever issues that you have is weak and Mm -hmm. useless. And you're not even getting any better. So why do you keep coming every week or every however? I don't know how often they do it in in Jessica Jones. But like, Mm -hmm. why do you keep coming back to this? Why do you... I don't know. It seems like... uh, 
a really common trope. So another movie I would like to have is a movie with a racially diverse cast where the racial dynamics are discussed openly in a way that shows how all of the characters are concerned about each other's well-being in a supportive way without being really overwrought about this. And so I feel like that's going to be a delicate balance. But I feel like in we don't see representations of dialogues around caring about other people and racial sensitivity. So and not unless crash. Like, what's that? So not Crash. Oh, I've never seen Crash. What is it? Tell me. <gasps> it's awful. It's awful. Well, tell me what's so awful. What happened? I, it was. A, it won an Oscar. Yes, I remember that. It's a movie that. that is supposed to be about racism in the United States, but the movie's actually really racist. Oh, jeez. Why does that not surprise me? <laughs> it's Good it's job, pretty terrible. It's 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 pretty terrible, and I think that it was very emotionally exploitative in several ways that. Oh, I can't even. Crash one I mean, year that Brokeback only... Mountain was up, right? Yes, I that's think why so. I'm familiar with so. Crash. That's the only cultural touchstone for mm. Crash to me. I mean, if you want, if you want me to give you a couple of examples, like yeah, that would be amazing. Uh, there's there's two examples that that just that just bug me. One is that um, there's a there's a woman who's a, a black woman and she's she's very wealthy and her husband's mm-hmm. very wealthy, and um, they get pulled over by a cop, mm-hmm. and um, the cop is racist, and mm-hmm. he sexually assaults her during the pat-down in front of her husband. And then later, uh, I believe it's the same cop, saves her from her car burning. What? Yeah. So it's yeah, about it's how awful. racists are good people, like racist rapists can be good people too? Apparently, yeah. All right. Um, All right. Yeah. And um, then there, there's this other subplot about a Arab guy who wants to buy a gun um, and his daughter um, doesn't trust him. So she, and if you don't know anything about guns, you won't catch this, but she makes sure that he buys blanks instead of real bullets. And later on in the movie, you think that he's like gone crazy and he's about to shoot this guy, but the guy's like five-year-old daughter runs in between. You think that you're about to watch a five-year-old get shot and killed, but because there's blanks in the gun, she doesn't die. And I found that to be the most, one of the most emotionally exploitative scenes I've ever seen on on cinema that went on to win an Oscar. Yeah, that sounds pretty, uh, that sounds awful. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to try and find a better word than awful, but I don't know if there is one. Yeah, it was pretty awful. There's other examples. Um, Racialicious, who I think at the time was Mixed Media Watch, but I'm not sure, wrote a whole thing about how also Asians were not represented in the movie at all. There Mm. were blacks, whites, Latinos, and Arabs, and the only Asian people were all um, people who were being trafficked into slavery who did not speak at all. Um, Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and Sandra Bullock plays this, like, racist white lady... But then she falls down the stairs and her, like, Mexican maid helps her. It, what is it, the it plot of this movie? Terrible... <laughs> is it vignettes? I don't even understand. They're, they're all intertwined. I don't remember okay. it very well. If I made any mistakes about the plot, I apologize. But um, it's terrible. It's supposed to be, like, a combination between, like, 
everybody's a little bit racist, but also that's really bad, and here's why. But it's terrible. It's yeah, it terrible like it. garbage, and it won an Academy Award. Wow. <laughs> are we not surprised? There are other uh, people who have written about Crash better than my ranting about it now, because I honestly haven't seen it in ten years, and if I never see it again, I'd be happy, but... Um, yeah, so yeah. we can provide some critical essay links <laughs> in the show notes yeah. if you're interested. Um, but I think I was thinking more like a movie with a plot totally unrelated to racial dynamics with a mm-hmm. racially diverse cast where people talk about race mm-hmm. at all. <laughs> where people talk about race in a way that shows compassion to each other. I would really love that. I feel like... I would love to see that represented and, like, have it not be marketed to one particular racial group. Maybe, like, Deep Space Nine, but not not really. So how, how, how do you think Deep Space Nine achieves that? It takes place in the future, in a utopia, in a socialist utopia where there is no racism, um, at least among humans. Mm-hmm. And there are two kind of themes. One is that um, there's this kind of alternate reality episode where Cisco has this probably a dream about being a science fiction writer in the 50s mm-hmm. late 50s early 60s in uh, I think it's in New York I'm not sure it might have been LA um, and just about the racism that that kind of person would face and mm-hmm. um, later on in the series um, everybody is playing this really great um or they think is really great holodeck program that takes place in 1962 in Las Vegas. And he never wants to play. Mm-hmm. And he likes the holodeck, but he never wants to play that one. And his girlfriend, who's also mm-hmm. black, um, asks him, like, why don't you want to play? This is a really great game. And he was like, I can't because people like you and me, black people, would not have been allowed in those casinos at that time. And she says, that's true, but that's why we should go now for all the people who couldn't. And that's, I mean, that's her perspective, and she winds up, winds up convincing him mm-hmm. to go. But that's, you know, mm-hmm. they're actually having this discussion. And I guess it's not quite, doesn't quite meet your criteria because he doesn't wind up talking about it right. with the other people of different ethnicities on the show mm-hmm. who are, you know, white and, and South Asian and, and other, you know, ethnicities. Um, mm-hmm. So in that way, but he does have this conversation with her about something I don't like or that our white friends are doing this. I feel weird about it um, in like an honest way. So a lot of people thought it was weird that he mentioned it, Mm. but I think it's interesting. Yeah, I think, of course, it's interesting that he mentions it. But yeah, I guess what I would really love is like interracial conversations modeled for us. Like, I think uh, I think for everyone, like people are comfortable talking within their racial group about racism. And I think there's just so much discomfort Mm -hmm. talking interracially about racism that I think we as a country would do well to see modeled compassion and like the different types of conversations that people can have and the different ways that they could go in a positive way. I think that would be really Mm -hmm. lovely to see where it's not the plot, (laughs) especially would be my favorite if somebody could just include a couple lines in a movie where somebody is like, oh, you know, it just occurred to me that that might have hurt your feelings. Are we cool? Like, can we talk about it? You know? 
Or somebody mm-hmm. saying, like, hey, it's really not cool, that thing you did, and it hurt my feelings. And the other person responding, like, oh, I really didn't mean to hurt your feelings. Thank you for pointing this out. You know? <laughs> Just, like, mm-hmm. conversations where people care about each other. <laughs> I'd love to see it. Um, and then another movie idea. Uh, a superhero movie about a female superhero, which would be great already. Not yet at this point, <laughs> uh, except for maybe Catwoman, <laughs> which has nothing to do with actual Catwoman from Batman. I don't know. Anyway, a female superhero movie about a female superhero, superhero whose powers have nothing to do with her psychological manipulation of men, especially via her sexual uh, enthrallment of men, where she distracts men with her sexuality and then manipulates them. Uh, I would really love to see that. So Wonder Woman's lasso of truth doesn't <laughs> I would love to see a Wonder Woman movie. Uh, yeah. It's coming out Yeah, too. I know. I want to see it. And I hope... I feel like DC movies have kind of really struggled with gender, as have Marvel movies. They all do. Why? Why? Why do all the studios really struggle with gender? Women watch these movies. Women go see them. Women like them. We, we are ready... <laughs> So Alicia Silverstone as uh, Batgirl in Batman and Robin doesn't count. You know, she was pretty good, too. (laughs) I actually really enjoyed that. I'm not going to lie. I remember being little and being like, yeah! (laughs) Like, I I was like, she's like a young woman and she's suiting up, you know? I don't remember a lot about that movie. Yeah, no, me neither. But I do remember the shots of them, like, all suiting up together and being really excited Mm -hmm. that there was, like, a female-looking body in the superhero suit, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially somebody like Alicia Silverstone, who I think is, like, so femme. Like, I think it's cool. Although I would love to see a butch female superhero. I would love to see that, too. Like, a celebrated butch female superhero. That would be nice. Yeah. Did you hear about um, Electra Woman and Dinah Girl? They're making into a movie with uh, Hannah Hart. What is that? And uh, it was this, like, indie comic, I believe. Huh. And they're making it. In... Oh, it's going to be a TV miniseries. It's not going to be um, a thing. And I'm not sure if either or both of the characters were queer in the um, comic, but I think that if they were similar to Deadpool, I think they're going to kind of mute that. But I'm, but it looks kind of cool. Ah, exciting! Um, so you guys should look up Electro Woman and Dinah Girl. The, the trailer's out, it, but it's not going to be movies; it's going to be a miniseries. Interesting. I think on Hulu or Mayo or something like that. Hmm. Oh, so, so it's a reboot out. of the series with Grace Helbig and Hannah Hart. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, also, take this to heart, ladies. Internet fame can make you a real famous person. <laughs> oh, of course. Yeah. Because uh, they're both YouTube stars. YouTube celebrities. <laughs> um, yeah, right. that would be excellent. Also, I would love to see a She-Hulk movie. Where is my She-Hulk movie? Yes. Uh, so, She-Hulk... Jennifer Walters is the cousin of Bruce Banner, uh, and she, um, I think she somehow needs a blood transfusion, and Bruce Banner gives it to her, 
and she becomes a female version of the Hulk and her powers are similar but not as strong and I think she she's also a lawyer uh, and she becomes an Avenger. She became partner in the law firm would they say Ann Banner or would they say Ann Hulk? Mm, I'm pretty I mean it would be Ann Walters first of all. Oh okay right right right. <laughs> and I don't know if she ever becomes partner but she I think she defends mutants. I think uh oh, so like X-Men and stuff yes I think so yeah I'm not sure but uh, I think she's in the original Civil War uh comics mm-hmm. and she is left out of the movies because there's no She-Hulk movie so I would love to see a She-Hulk movie and I would love to have it retconned back into Civil War she's there so uh, I don't know enough about her to to go any more into it than that. <laughs> That's fine. And finally, I would love for there to be enough movies representing diverse women, diverse people of various ethnicities and racial uh, identities, where we have enough of them that one doesn't have to represent all of them. A member of each of those identities enough of them where people have uh multiple marginalized identities represented at the same time and the struggles of both of those in tandem would be excellent um and having enough of those where one didn't have to one didn't have to be representative for the whole genre of movies about black women representations mm-hmm. of women with mental illness representations of women with different abilities like those would be really nice mm-hmm. actually one movie I just thought of that might go under this one or might go back under like female mm-hmm. adventure movie but um, I don't think the villains are the villains are not women um, but there's this movie that came out in 2006 I haven't watched it yet I have it on my to watch list it's called Banditas mm-hmm. and it's with Penelope Cruz and Salma Hayek mm-hmm. and they are like you know, Latina, Mexican mm-hmm. cowgirls, and they join forces against a uh, U.S. bank magnate who's stealing land from peasants. Huh. And, yeah, it sounds really cool. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen it. It's on my to-watch list, and that could be, like, a female adventure movie. Yeah, it could be fun. Um, even though the, the villains are dudes. But if it's good, then more movies like that. Yes, please. So some movies that... Um, one of them that I was thinking of that was already made... Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to say, well, this isn't a movie, but it's a TV show. I was going to say female stoner comedy, mm-hmm. which already exists in terms of Broad yes. City, but there's no movie like it. Which, like, with all its problematic problems, I think Broad City is probably one of my favorite things ever made. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and then I was going to just say some movies that we would recommend that you would watch if you enjoyed this list. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one would be Agora which is a movie, I think it was, not that this has anything to do with feminism, <laughs> but I think it was Oscar Isaac's first English language movie, but I'm not mm, sure. I think that that's a um, feminist thing to bring up. <laughs> I think it's relative, related. Um, and uh, the, the movie is about the, um, the mathematician Hypatia, who was in uh, mm-hmm. Egypt when it was ruled by Rome, the Romans. Mm-hmm. 
and how she was so brilliant in her mathematics that she was allowed to teach men. Mm-hmm. But as um, the Roman Empire became more Christian, they did not want her to teach men anymore about math. I thought it was um, Hypatia. <laughs> That's how I pronounce Hypatia. it in my head. <laughs> oh. Hypatia. Um, it's a really good movie. Um, you should definitely watch it. Um, and it is fairly historically accurate. Um, there are, I mean, you know, if you if you look up her Wikipedia entry... Mm-hmm. Um, Things rarely ended well for women like Hypatia in those times, mm. so don't. Uh, it was not Hollywoodized, but I think it's. I think you should definitely watch that movie. And for uh, I think a historical movie that I think as 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 um as much as it could be historically accurate going back that far in time, mm-hmm. um, I think that it was. Um, another one, Obvious Child. The romantic comedy about abortions. I don't know if you've seen that one. Uh, no, it was always sold out when I was like near a theater that was playing it, and I just am so bad at planning seeing movies. It's on, it's on Netflix. Is it? <gasps> yes. Oh, I am watching it this was weekend. A couple of months ago. Um, that's a really good movie. Um, I put Doubt here mm. for a movie about religious women. Um, have you seen Doubt? No. It was based on the play. No, hmm. I haven't. Um, it's about two nuns in a Catholic church in the 60s who suspect that the priest in their church is molesting one of the boys mm. and what they decide to do about it. Uh, it's a, an older nun and a younger nun, mm. and they're, they're trying to figure it out. Um, there are male characters in the, in the story, obviously, but um, it, it, it centers on two women in the clergy who are you know, trying to fix this problem. Huh. Timely. We talked about A League of Their Own. I love it, you know, female sports movie mm-hmm. about friendship and sisterhood, mm-hmm. and it does address, you know, the roles that women had at the time. And whether or not um, there's crying in baseball. And whether or not there's crying in baseball, there there is no crying in baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Debatable. I love that movie. Problematic. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's problematic to say there's no crying in baseball. Problematic. I'll find an explanation later. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I suppose people should be allowed to express their feelings, but um, <laughs> I'm not trying to emotion uh, shame people here. The only, the only, it's funny that we bring this up about no crying in baseball and whether or not that's problematic. Um, the only male baseball player I can think of that I've seen crying was um, Yankees right fielder Paul O'Neill after they won the World Series, I believe, in '96. Uh, he was crying a lot because he had just lost his dad, and I guess he was just overcome with emotion winning the championship, but that his dad couldn't be there to see right. it. Um, and I just had so much empathy for him, and um, mm. a lot of that went away because he endorsed Donald Trump. So. Ah, <laughs> That's a, a sound effect. Of That's my tangent about crying in baseball. Mm. Um, the to-do list, which we also first heard about on Jacqueline Friedman's podcast way back when it was called Fucking Well Feminist, is uh, an indie movie. It's a teen sex comedy that's feminist. What? <laughs> um, and it stars <laughs> Aubrey Plaza uh-huh. and um, Bill Hader. And it's about this uh, young woman who graduates high school mm-hmm. and decides that she wants to lose her virginity by the end of the summer and makes a list of all of the sexual experiences that she wants to have and she makes them into a to-do list because she's a very organized type mm-hmm. A kind of girl mm-hmm. and you know what happens it's, it's very funny I think it's really good I think 
people should watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, it does have a lot of those the tropes of that genre, though. Mm-hmm. It is kind of gross at points. Mm-hmm. It is, um, if you're easily offended by it, juvenile jokes about sex, don't watch it. Um, it is still a teen sex comedy, but I think it's a feminist one because the women do have agency and they talk about women's pleasure. Mm. And a movie we've talked about before mm-hmm. on this podcast, uh, Mad Max Fury Road. If our Valentine mm-hmm. to Furiosa didn't convince you, um, we're reminding you again to go see it. Yeah, we're seeing, of course, it's, uh, it's not your perfect feminist movie, but it's shockingly feminist for Hollywood. Uh, and for this kind of genre that it was in, for the series that it was in, I think, uh... Yeah, it was definitely a not-misogynist movie, mm-hmm. and to see a movie in that genre that wasn't misogynist was such a... It was like a breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. Just, you don't realize how much of your brain space you deal with either blocking out or being upset about misogyny in those kinds of movies. Mm-hmm. And to not have that, you know, going on in the back of your head was a very enjoyable experience, I felt like. Yeah, and I think one of the nice things about it is that it the, it left a lot of things unexplained also, mm-hmm. or, like, unvisualized, right. that you don't have to see, mm-hmm. like, graphic depictions of violence against women to understand that it is wrong. <laughs> right. And so I think that was exactly. one of its real triumphs. Mm-hmm. Um, one that I that I liked, but it's not a must-see, is Bridesmaids, which Salon Magazine, I believe, called a triumph of feminism and vomit. There are a lot of, <laughs> yeah. of gross-out yeah. um, stuff in Bridesmaids, mm-hmm. but I think it was also a good movie. It was funny. Mm-hmm. It was a wedding movie, but it was really about female friendships. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's a fun movie. I'd recommend that for people to watch if they want to see a comedy. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, um, so there are definitely problems with it, though. And one that I feel like I want to bring up is that there's a, a butch woman in it. And a lot of the jokes are like, ha-ha, she's a butch woman. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's a very frustrating thing to have a, a movie, you know, full of women. But, like, the one butch woman, the joke is, like, the butt of the joke is that she's butch. Mm-hmm. It's frustrating. <laughs> I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not perfect. Yeah. But I think it's good. Um, one movie that I saw recently came out a couple of years ago. It's called Bachelorette. It's uh, with Kirsten Dunst and um, who's the woman that was in Pitch per- Rebel Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a dark comedy. It's not uplifting. You're not going to watch this and be like, yay, I want to go out and skip in a meadow. And, um <laughs> It's definitely in um, the, the dark comedy, women behaving badly. And I, I think it's not quite as dark as, I don't know if you've seen Very Bad Things, mm. which is kind of like the hellish version of The Hangover. Mm. Um, and Very Bad Things, it's a movie with Christian Slater about a bachelor party that actually goes horribly, morbidly wrong mm. in terms of they actually murder people. Um Okay. But it's funny because they're dudes and they're at a bachelor party. Um, Mm. This is... uh, The women do bad things, things that are morally not okay, um, but they they don't murder anyone. Uh, But it's... um, I think it's an interesting movie in terms of the women are allowed to behave in these ways that we even see it on the screen, Mm. and it is for for comedy. Mm -hmm. You have another 
suggestion. Yeah, so uh, a movie that I'm thinking of hearing about, like, women behaving badly, was uh, mm-hmm. Young Adult, which uh, I think yes. is a Diablo Cody movie, but I'm not sure. Yes, it is. Yeah. She wrote it. I don't know if she directed yeah. it. Yeah. No, she didn't. She didn't direct it, but she wrote it. Um, and it's just about a woman who uh, goes back home to her town and then tries to kind of ruin her ex-boyfriend's wedding to his new fiance. Uh, and she's like a very uh, bad actor. Uh, who, she's a great actress. <laughs> Charlize Theron does a great job acting, but her character does bad things. And uh, I think it's really fascinating to have a, a comedy where uh, a woman is allowed to do that for the sake of humor. In that, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. And then I think also there's like a reveal at the end where it's like, oh, this is like, she's really horrible to everyone. And then you kind of, there's a reveal at the end where it's like, oh, People were kind of horrible to her as well. And that, that I think actually is really interesting and fascinating the way they do that. I also want to mention that I have the IMDP page up and there are two people uh, who are credited as one is the uh, nipple confusion bassist and the other is the nipple confusion guitarist. What? Is that? Is oh, no. Yes, the band yes, called um, nipple because confusion? In, yes. In the in the movie, yes. um, she she's trying to she's trying to ruin her ex boyfriend's marriage. Right. She's already married. Uh, Patrick Wilson, I believe, is the ex boyfriend, and he's ah. married to a woman, and they just had a baby. Ah, that's and that's what triggers her um, trip mm. back to her hometown. And his wife is in a band called Nipple Confusion ah. with other moms in the neighborhood. Ah, okay. See, I'm very bad at remembering plots of movies, so thank you so much. Uh, for explaining it's, nipple confusion it's a skill to me. I have. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's not really useful for much outside of podcasting and trivia night. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And so there were there were a few movies that we're kind of like curious about. Um, some interviews and reviews pre-release, uh, which may have been released by the time this podcast airs. So please don't judge us by our opinions now because we haven't seen them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, right, but uh, we were really curious to see what becomes of uh, Neighbors Two. I haven't seen the Neighbors One movie. I don't know if it mm-hmm. that that felt very much not marketed to me about like old men and young men and cultural difference. <laughs> not even that young, like twenties versus thirties, even. Yeah, so like generational drama uh, mm-hmm. between two men. And I have no idea. I can't imagine that. When I think of frat boys, I don't think this is something I'm curious about. Right. Uh, I get the sense that I will probably be frustrated when I watch it. uh, And that anyone who looks anything like me will be either sexually humiliated, traumatized, or have their agency removed. So, so, um, yeah. But Neighbors 2... We both have kind of discussed how we read some reviews that uh, describe the women in this uh, comedy that's about a sorority moving in next door to a family home, uh, and that the women of the sorority are apparently not uh, like bimbos, 
were represented in a way that lacks agency or is two-dimensional, that they're, they're fully fleshed out characters who have agency and, and desire, it seems. Yeah, you know what I was thinking? Um, another movie to go back on that list of movies to watch if you haven't, Legally Blind ah, yes. is a lot more feminist than you'd think that it is. It really is. And I was thinking I probably wouldn't mind living next to the Legally Blonde sorority because while they do have agency, they are also incredibly, I want to say prim and proper, but that's not the, the best word. They're well organized and clean mm-hmm. and they you know, try to be good citizens, I suppose. Right. And the sorority is not like that. They're not like good women, right? In that in that phrase, in that term, in that way. Yeah, I think it's more the party culture sorority and neighbors too, exactly. Uh, as opposed to the the uh, good works and charity mm-hmm. and like academics Fashion. sorority. <laughs> right. Um, this one hasn't come out yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I I guess kidding on the square. I said that the. Um, trailer for Bad Moms is a feminist masterpiece. Yeah, it looks fantastic. <laughs> um, you did have a slight issue with what it seems to be implying, though. Yeah, so just also to describe the, the trailer for Bad Moms and what the plot appears to be is about kind of the, expect, the expectations of perfection uh, and over-involvement that we place on moms in our society um, and kind of all these fears around, you know, messing up and being judged um and i think my my critique is that at least in the trailer all the judgment is coming from other women whereas i think culturally much of the judgment comes from society everyone it's it's not just other Mm -hmm. mothers i think we recruit as a society other women as enforcers but i don't necessarily think that the pressure is coming from other women uh Mm -hmm. spontaneously Yes, and so I hope that the the full movie really uh, kind of dives deeper than that. Obviously, a trailer you can't dissect the cultural pressures that lead women to be enforcers of conservative agendas, because ultimately, the um, agenda of over policing women is to to make it so that they can't have public lives. Something that I noticed, um, if you go on YouTube and you watch the trailer. Don't read the comments. It's all very young men, seemingly teenage boys, saying how it looks stupid and pointless, which is a phenomenon that actually someone investigated. Mm-hmm. And um, I haven't read the article, but there's an article out that says that um, at the box office, um, a movie with women protagonists might do well, but it's going to get downvoted on, say, IMDb. Mm-hmm. Or the trailer is going to get incredibly downvoted on YouTube, um, and it's men who don't like the movie will go out of their way to criticize mm-hmm. movies that are advertised to mm-hmm. women or who are about women, even if they haven't seen them. Yeah. They'll go out of their way to bring those movies down. Whereas, I don't know, some like a Bad Grandpa mm-hmm. looked stupid and misogynist, and I did not go out of my way to find the web pages for a bad grandpa and talk about how horrible it was. Mm-hmm. If for some reason I had to watch the movie, then maybe I'd let everyone know my opinion. Right. But um But even still that's nothing that that would even cross my mind to do. Right. But also like talking about critiquing something on a podcast, 
I mean, the the differences seem to be that men are happy to give a number, a numerical rating, a reductionist numerical rating on kind of these places, in these places where we expect kind of an average rating and a rating that, that gives like what everyone thinks of this as opposed to like our niche feminist critique on our podcast. We're not actually affecting the ratings of these movies on Metacritic or these areas that we expect where the average kind of reduces the noise of people with extreme views. Yeah, I don't really expect that Agora is going to become a cult classic because I said everyone should watch it, but right. maybe. Right. That would be kind or of Or that Bad Grandpa <laughs> is going to lose any of its audience because we have maligned it on our feminist podcast. We just ruined their DVD sales. Yeah, exactly. I don't think it'll have much of an impact that we... We weren't their target market in the first place, but... Yeah. The other movie that we're looking forward to is Ghostbusters. Yes. Cannot wait. Really excited. Um, Um, Although I do have to say... I don't care. Oh, you go first. I was going to say I don't care about all of the men who are saying it ruined their childhood. I grew up watching Ghostbusters all the time, and I really wish that there was a girl Ghostbuster, and now there's four of them, so I'm psyched. Yeah. Although it's been pointed out in this process um, how in the original Ghostbusters and now kind of resonating into the reboot, the um, mm-hmm. I don't remember the names of the characters, unfortunately, but um, that in the original, uh, before there were larger name actors in it, um, all four of the Ghostbusters had... Lar- like large roles and that once I think it was supposed to be Eddie Murphy and when he backed out and they gave it to uh, Ernie Hudson they really diminished Winston's role in the movie yeah so they completely diminished Winston's role uh, and that's kind of reverberated into the new one where um, the the only like black character uh, is not actually a founding member of the Ghostbusters but kind of falls kind of backwards into being a member and I think uh, it would have been really nice if they could retcon that because I think they've said that she does have technical expertise Mm -hmm. that they don't have Okay. and um, I think that one response to that criticism that does not entirely fix the problem Mm -hmm. because I think it is problematic with the original Mm -hmm. is that Winston was supposed to be kind of the average everyday blue collar guy Mm -hmm. that he was also, the only person of color does kind of change the impact of mm-hmm. that. Um, and also, just the three of them to start with weren't very good scientists right. and got thrown out of Columbia for being jerks. So yeah. it wasn't like <laughs> they were the white saviors or anything um, to start with. But I, I think I think that that does not completely absolve the movie of its, of its problems yeah. with race. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that I'm not going to love it. Uh, it just means I'm that so we excited. They just released the second trailer, yeah. and I was like breathless at the end of it. I'm just very excited. yeah. It looks like <laughs> it's gonna be great. So uh, I look forward to seeing it. I hope it's not awful. Yeah. So Elizabeth, <laughs> where can people find you on the internet? Uh, I'm at Miss Cherry Pie on Twitter, and I am at a Karen on Twitter. This has been the Feminist Coffee Hour podcast, where we tackle the political rumors from the feminist outer boroughs of New York City. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye.
Flavors Feminist Coffee Hour podcast theme song is Making It Hard by Bridget Ellsworth. You can listen to her music at soundcloud.com slash Bridget Ellsworth. And you can listen to her other songs there as well. And if you like what you hear, you can give her a like or even a follow.